the word rule in itself is kind of, you're hindering people by saying, this is a rule, this is something you have to follow. So you're just trying to get them to think differently, get, out, get them to get outside their box by just shooting something that they wouldn't want. This photography podcast is brought to you by Frames, quarterly printed photography magazine. Here is your today's host, W. Scott Olsen, with another fascinating conversation. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another podcast from Frames Magazine. My name is Scott Olson, and today, today, my friends, I, you, you got to love a job that puts you in touch with your heroes. Today, we are talking to one of my heroes, Phil Penman, a street photographer from New York. His debut book, Street, launched at number one on Amazon for street photography. His work's been featured at the Museum of Modern Art. It's been all over the place. It's been in the Daily Telegraph and People Magazine and it has been in the inaugural issue of Frames Magazine. Phil is known all over the world as one of the most innovative and creative street photographers out there uh, working today. Phil, how are you today? I'm very good. I'm just wondering, do I PayPal you now for that introduction or later? <laughs> well, I mean, street photography is close to my heart. I got, I, I'm going to admit that bias right here. I absolutely adore the work that you're doing. That, that leads right into the first question. You are a street photographer. You are in New York City, and we are still in the midst of a pandemic. How's your work going? What are you doing these days? It's kind of killing me slowly, to be honest. I've been shooting for, well, pretty much straight through since last March. But there's certain things you can shoot and certain things you can't shoot. Shooting portraits of people right now is kind of a real tough one to do because, one, you've got that you know, the hidden element of the mask, which kind of, you know, it kind of, it hides a lot of the character of people. And also, you know, it's very hard to go up to people now and kind of stop them in their tracks because everyone's very, you know, self-aware of, does this person have COVID? So it's, from from a street side of thing, it's been great capturing the city like it's never been seen before. From a personal point of view with human interaction, it just sucks. When you are doing street photography of people, do you normally let them know what you're doing? Do you go up and, and talk to them first or after? It's kind of a mixture, to be honest. I, you know, I, I call myself a street photographer in loose terms. I like portraiture. You know, I just went and picked up an Arnold Newman book, actually, Masterclass. masterclass. Mm -hmm. uh, big, big fan of pretty much everything. And I try to incorporate, you know, when I go out and shoot, it's not like I say, I'm, I'm, today I'm going to just shoot candid street photography. You know, if I see a cool abstract shot that I like or, you know, a landscape, I'm going to shoot it because I've kind of come from all walks of life, I would say, in regards to photography. Mm -hmm. You say in, in, in Frames Magazine, I think it's the little call out text before your very first picture there. You say there's not much you're not going to see in New York City. It's just a question of whether you photograph it or not. Talk to me about the shots not taken. Talk to me about how difficult it is to get over that should I shoot this moment. Kind of a moral question, sir, a lot of things. <laughs> like, I, you know, I, it's weird because I come, I come from my background where I used to just jump in front of people's faces and have to blast them with the, with the short and flash for the, like, the celebrity paparazzi work that I used to do. Mm -hmm. Yep. And because, you know, I was never comfortable doing it when I was doing that as well, but it was – it was like there was so much money at stake that it was that. And if you didn't do it, you were going to get fired anyway. 
And then right. all of a sudden you find yourself doing the street photography where you're in a position of nobody's going to fire me. I'm not going to make $50,000 from this picture. So it's more a case of I have the choice now where I can choose to say no. So, you know, certain pictures like, I don't know, say homeless people sleeping, sleeping. It's not something I'm really into. It's funny, I've actually, from some of the people I've spoken to on the street, they'll tell me that they, that's one of the things they hear is when they're sleeping or when they're like resting, they'll hear people taking pictures of them. So, you know, that, that's, yeah, that's the kind of moral question to me is like, do I want to shoot? Is, those are really the only ones that I kind of shy away from that I'm not really interested in. And then the, there's the shots where if you take it, you know you're probably going to get hit. <laughs> you know, those are also if you if you see if yeah. you see if you see a guy walking up the road with his penis hanging out, you probably don't want to take that picture. That that's why God invented the telephoto lens. Exactly. <laughs> but you're right. I, I know for myself and for many other photographers, there's that moment of hesitation where you think, should I, shouldn't I? And not not for the morally questionable ones, but just, you know, is this good enough or, or is this special enough? And then we walk away and five minutes later, we're thinking, damn it, I should have taken that one. Does that happen in your work? Uh, not to be honest. I Yeah. Yeah, because I've kind of come from the, you know, it's, di- it's digital. You can delete it later, right? I come from the background of, you know, press, all of the rest of it. And I, it's always, it always amuses me when you hear the question, well, people say, don't shoot until it's perfect or wait for the perfect shot. thing is, you don't know it's perfect until you look at it later. And it could have been that other angle that was actually much better. So when I shoot, I don't look at it as one picture. I, I look at it as like, all right, it's an assignment that I've been given where I want to capture a few different angles, you know, work the shot for a little bit and then I can look back at it later and then go, all right, well, actually the one that I thought was the perfect shot isn't. And it's the one that I, you know, was maybe a little bit wider where I switched the lens out that that was the shot that really worked. It's just something you, it's something you learn over time. I I think that that is absolutely true. And, And the learning is something that I don't think we talk about enough because experience is is a tremendous teacher in photography. And what might have taken us half an hour to think about, you know, when we're just beginning, we know almost intuitively a couple years down the road when a shot is not only present, but when a shot is forthcoming. Let, let, let me ask you about just one of your shots that, that, that may play into this and then I want to go back to some of your history. You have a shot that's simply called Fifth Avenue, New York, and it's four people crossing in, in the distance, four people crossing an otherwise deserted Fifth Avenue. Talk to me about that shot. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I, I do. That's probably the only time that you can stand in Fifth Avenue for 10 minutes <laughs> and not see a car and hit, not get hit by a car from behind. Tell, tell me about anticipating that shot. Tell me about taking that shot. So a lot of my work is kind of dictated by the weather. I use it as a backdrop. So if it's very foggy or it's snowing out, it's a given for me that I'm going to go out and I'm going to shoot in that weather. I'll use it as a backdrop. And then I will use elements like that shot. We use the elements of the the buildings kind of giving you these leading lines down Fifth Avenue. And I'll be like very selective about my lenses as well. I, that particular image, I wanted to compress the shot. So kind of wanted to show the stark emptiness of the city, but also kind of compress it. So, you know, if you shot that particular image with a wider angle, those kind of, that would be lost on you. Whereas, you know, if you use something like a 300 mil, 
you still give the landscape and the scale of everything, but you don't lose the form of the of the people walking across the street. So a lot of my work's kind of like that. And then also it's interesting when you look back at the early days of like the pandemic and all the photography that was coming out, people were going out of their way to show the emptiness of the city when actually it wasn't fully empty. You know, every single block you walked down, there was a construction crew working. Every door you walked past, there was someone homeless. It was, And the rest of the city had gone home and they were staying in their apartments, but there was a lot of people that didn't have that choice. So, you know, I wanted to kind of be honest with it. I wanted to show that, you know, it's not every street is empty, but you still get a feel for the fact that it's, you know, a lot quieter than it was. Were a lot of these decisions made immediately on site or did you think this went out pretty far in advance? I think you just got to be honest with your work, to be honest. You know, you've got to shoot what you actually see. Like I, I hear of some people, you know, when I'm working with people, you know, they ask question, you know, do you ever um, Photoshop out an arm or a person to make the composition better, which is like a big, big no-no. But, you know, it's, right. one thing, it's one thing if you're doing a fashion shoot or you're doing something commercial, but if it's street work or photojournalism, that's like the one big, big no-no. You have to keep your work honest and you tell it how it is. So, you know, I was while everyone else was going around shooting empty streets, I was going, taking pictures of construction crews, you know, doing portraits of the homeless on the streets. You know, it's funny, I got chatting with a, uh, a JCB driver, like a digger driver. They were, they were digging up all the streets and um, he wanted a copy and he ended up buying the book. <laughs> which was kind of cool. <laughs> so one sale made. Mm-hmm. You were born in the UK. You've been shooting street work at least, you know, for 25 years, according. And, and I should tell everybody who's listening along, you got to go to the website, philpenman.com. Phil Penman, it all is one word. It is one of the most energetic websites for photography that I've seen in a long time. And the images we're talking about, by and large, are going to be there or in Frames Magazine. Tell me about the early days. You know, t- tell me about the, the beginnings of, of this interest and then career in photography. So I was fortunate enough that my father was a photographer. So I, I grew up watching him process prints and, you know, he had putting his prints to rinse them in the bathtub. So, you know, I, I grew up with it. And he bought me my first camera, which was a Nikomat, and I had like an old Western light meter, and I used to go off and shoot with that. And he wanted me to have a backup subject for my studies. You know, I wanted to be a sports teacher. So my sports studies absolutely just failed miserably. Great at practice, <laughs> not, with the, not, not, so great, not so great with the academic, but my mm-hmm. photography, I kind of aced. So I moved through doing like national diplomas, higher national diplomas. I went straight into work, working for like a local newspaper in uh, just outside Reading in Berkshire, England, where, you know, they would just throw all kinds of crap at us every single day. We'd be doing like eight different jobs a day, driving around the county like absolute lunatics, got a really quick learning curve from that. Then I jumped into doing like national newspaper work, corporate photography. Then I went from that into meeting, like I was on a stakeout, believe it or not, with this uh, photographer. And we got chatting in his car and he, my end goal is I always wanted to live in New York City. So we got chatting and he said, well, a couple of friends of his ran an agency in Los Angeles. 
I gave them a call. I think it was within a month. I moved to Los Angeles and I got thrown into the deep end doing celebrity photography, paparazzi work, portraits of celebrities, investigative work. I did that for about five years for them. They moved me to New York within the first year to set up their office for them. Okay. Did, did that. I covered a lot of different things from New York City. They had me doing like red carpets when I first got here because we didn't have, you know, there was only two of us in New York. Shot red carpets. They had us flying out of out the city at least twice a week. You know, you literally you'd get the call and it would be like get to the airport and you're flying to Argentina. You know, overnight, <laughs> you've got to do port- a portrait shoot with some girl that was messing around with the singer Robbie Williams, you know? So it was just like you never knew what it was. Great learning curve. And I probably did that until about 2015 when I just, you know, depressed, hated the life. And believe it or not, I went cold turkey and just figured – I got a job working for a cycling company, believe it or not, doing, oh my. Okay. doing like uh, sales. So I was selling cycling clothing to like the, the northeast of the US. And at the same time that I was doing that, I was doing my street photography. And I was also doing like uh, celebrity portraiture. So I, I wanted to, because healthcare is such a big deal in this country, I knew that I needed to do a few years of that until my street stuff really started to take off. And as soon as that kicked in and I was able to make enough money, I I quit the cycling gig and just went full on street. There's a tremendous amount of of good luck and also talent and confidence in in that story. I mean, to make a living as a street photographer is not common. Um, That requires... A reputation. It requires the talent. It requires uh, all sorts of stuff. How d- how did you come by that confidence? What, what was you, what was what were the early successes that let you know this is possible? The first break I got was I, ha- I had a um, a solo show in with Leica in New York, and it garnered like a lot of press and got me like a lot of attention worldwide for that particular exhibit. I remember the Daily Mail did a big a big piece on it. And then usually the Daily Mail is like an aggregator for a lot of different sources. And it just kind of spun from there. I got, you know, so many different magazines and blogs from all over the world contacting me. And then all of a sudden from that, like I started getting all these print sales from all around the world and then got into teaching, believe it or not, with Leica. So they have classes, Leica Academy. I got teaching with them where... I must have taught at least a couple of hundred people at this point where, you know, that was like another, another thing that developed from it. And then all of a sudden I was doing like, now I teach one-to-ones. Someone wants to go on the street and learn how to take pictures. It's kind of like one of these things you spend like two or three hours with somebody and you can save, you know, two years off your career path. You know, you so a lot of that work and it just, it's one of these things you just got to be very good at marketing yourself and, diversify. One of the things, I, mean, I am curious about one of the things with the teaching. You, you can teach the technical aspects of photography easily enough, and you can teach rules of composition. Can you teach vision? Can you teach an artistic sophistication? It's tough. You've got to have, you've definitely got to have an eye for a picture. Like there are, there are photographers that are technically 
you know, much better than me, very good, but they can't see things. So it's enabling them to see that. Also, it's like you've got to disregard the rules as well. Like, you know, the word rule in itself is kind of you're hindering people by saying this is a rule, this is something you have to follow. So you're just trying to get them to think differently, get, out, get them to get outside their box by just shooting something that they wouldn't normally shoot and shooting something in many different ways. And I found that the people that I have worked with have really progressed from that. And then you can teach them, you know, the, the technical stuff, how to edit properly and these little things that will, you know, help develop them. But yeah, the, the artistic side, I think a lot of that comes from your life experience, to be honest. I, I could not agree more. I, personally, I do think that you can put people in a position to learn. You can, you know, shoot 500 street shots and then say, okay, you know, which ones worked? Now let's go out and shoot another 500 and, and start to refine and, and revise your talent that way. Tell me about Snow on Madison Avenue, one of my all-time favorite pictures. That was pre-COVID. So that one, I was having to watch my back so I didn't get hit by a car. That was, uh, yeah, that was probably a stroke of luck for me, not so good for the, for the uh, drivers. <laughs> I, I, I remember just like, I was, you know, I'm, I'm kind of crazy. When, whenever it snows, I'll get up at like 4 a.m., 5 a.m. If I look out my window and I see that it's snowing, I just, I hit the street. And I, I remember walking up Madison at like 6 a.m. or something crazy like that and just seeing all these red lights. And it was, it was like a, you know, a trigger to the brain, you know, that, that's a shot because it, there's a nice kind of softness to the image, the snow in the trees. And then I just, you know, put the long lens on and then went, well, kneeled down in the middle of Mad Madison Avenue, <laughs> trying to keep an eye out to not get hit behind because I'm, I'm stood directly in the middle of the street. Yeah. What time of the morning is this shot? That was like 6 a.m., something like that. It was something, cr it was early. I remember that. It was, it was very early and because I was, I was stood there waiting for the right moment. I was waiting for people, to be honest. I think I waited for about 10 minutes for a person at least. You've got to time it right. You don't want cars kind of in the mix. Normally, you know, people crossing the road before the cars start driving, right? So that's what I was kind of waiting for. And of course, so I, I probably wasted about 30 minutes on that shot, just waiting for people. I shot it without people. I shot it with green lights, you know, didn't work as well. Yeah, definitely one of my favorites. Not only do you have the beautiful elements of the, of the, the one tree that that's sort of coming into the middle of the street in the distance there, but all the red lights, the, the little blurred taxi there on the left, and the, the posture of the guy crossing the street. The serendipity in that shot is just outstanding, as well as the, the technical brilliance of the shot itself. I can't even imagine waiting for that shot to happen. I take it the response to this shot has been phenomenal, though, right? Yeah, probably one of my most popular images. And then as far as like print sales as well, that's probably been one of the biggest ones. And this one, of course, is in color, which is unlike a lot of your other work and some of your teaching. So let's visit the idea of black and white for a little bit. Why black and white? And, and why especially black and white for street work? I think a lot of it comes from where I started. I couldn't really afford to do color. That was a whole nother process with the darkroom. That was kind of where I started. 
and that's the way I, I learn to see as a photographer. So I'm always, I always have like a soft spot for black and white. There's something a little bit more raw about it. You know, you walk around and you see everything in color anyway, your eyes do. So it's a way of taking you away from stuff. You know, I, I set my cameras up so that I actually, when I look, I'm, I'm looking at everything in black and white when I'm shooting. Oh, really? Yeah. And it's just, it just takes you away to another place for a while. So, you know, if, you, if you've got a lot going on in your, in your world or you're stressed or, you know, you're just generally unhappy with things, it's just, it's escapism. To be honest, I, a lot of my work, I, I try to be, I, I like to shoot a lot of very timeless images. I think it's kind of a, a yearning to want to go to certain eras. I would have loved to have been around to shoot. And it's probably a little bit of that in there as well. Are your photos nostalgic? Yeah, I would say so. Why do you think that is? I would say, you know, it's not so much an homage to the masters, but it is just a, it's, it's kind of tough to describe. It's more from an enjoyment point of view than trying to please others with the image. You know, it's, it's more from my personal satisfaction because you know how it is, like you're a photographer, you have to work for a living, you know, one week you're doing fashion photography, the next, you know, you're shooting cars or whatever, or wedding or something. So because I, all, all I've ever really known is work, so it's only like in the last few years where it's purely just shooting for yourself. And, you know, recently I have done a lot more commercial work as well, but it's being able to shoot the work that you love, not giving a crap if somebody likes it or not, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, just because it's your personal vision. And a lot of people kind of say my work is very uh, Stiglitz style. And it's not, he, you know, he's not someone that I even really knew. He's not somebody that we studied when I was at school, to be honest, either. Like I said, it's, it's a personal thing. There, there is a, a real power to your photographs. And, and it's, it's a power, to me at least, of either physical weight with some of the architectural stuff or cultural weight. I mean, you're able to catch moments that define, you know, a decade or, or something like that. If you had to describe your own style, what would you say? Is, is the defining feature of your work? It's a tough one, to be honest, because it's all over the place. I, I, I'm, not draw, I'm not drawn to one particular style. Like one minute I'm shooting abstract architecture, the next it's a street portrait, the next it's kind of a candid, just capturing life. But like I said earlier, it's trying to be honest with it as well. There's ways that you can shoot a picture where you can put a spin on it. Like you can make the viewer read something from that image that never really happened, right? So you want the viewer to decide what's going on, not me imposing my view upon them. So that would be more, more my style, is just kind of telling it how it is. And then I also, you know, there's the cultural things where I, I'll pick up on like a certain project where I, I feel like something isn't really being talked about, then I'll get involved with that kind of work. A lot of my work's just for me. T- tell me a story from a, a recent shot, something that went really well or something that just went completely down the tubes. I, either yesterday, last week, last year, just a, a story that you would tell at a cocktail party these days. <laughs> 
a polite cocktail party. <laughs> I was going to say, what, like six feet with masks, right? Yeah. I don't know, pictures that have gone right. My favorite one is the fluke one that I shot, which was, uh, it was shooting, looking down, I think it was 7th Avenue, and I was going after a certain image. And of course, you know, a car drives right through the shot as I'm shooting it. And it wasn't until I got home that I looked and the driver is literally, and his car window is framing my subject perfectly. So it was just one of those absolute fluke shots where, you know, if I tried to get that any which way, it just, it never would have happened. You know, <laughs> I, I wouldn't be able to go back and recreate it, even if I tried. No, and you didn't know that shot existed until you got home. Exactly. That's kind of, that's one of the nice things as well. Like, you know, you go out and you shoot so much. I don't, piece of advice, never delete off your camera on the street. Never. Always wait till you get home and then you can do what you like. But like I said, it's, you know, it's very hard to look at an image on the back of one of those tiny little camera screens as well and, and know whether it's good or not as well. So that's just a little piece. To be honest, like uh, the biggest strokes of luck I ever had were the celebrity pictures. It was just like freakish you know it's really weird when you set your mind or your brain to like a task it's amazing what you can see like i used to be able to go out and i would spot like 10 different celebrities a day every single day that's what i was paid i made my money for looking for celebrities and working on a story and i remember once my boss was we were we were talking in the office and he, he turned around to me and said this is a real real tough one but there was this guy on CNN last night. Here's, here's the video footage of him. And he said that if Osama bin Laden was captured, he would represent him as a lawyer. And I'm like, okay. My friend just said, look, if you just happen to see this guy on the street, get a picture of him. And I remember I was out like three hours riding around on my bike and I see the guy. Were you looking, no, were, were you looking for him or was this just you happened to see him? Well, you know, I was going around with the uh, idea. I, I had just saw, saw the uh, footage of him on CNN. My boss said, if you just happen to see him out and about. And I remember I was riding around in Soho and I was passing, uh, was it Dos Caminos restaurant on like the corner of Houston. And I see him sat at a bloody table. And I just, I got off my bike. I went up to him and said, look, this is going to sound really freaky. I was told to actually look for you today because of the CNN interview. <laughs> and would you mind posing up for a portrait for our story that we're running? And he was like, I think he thought it was quite amusing as well because you wouldn't recognize it. But stuff like that used to happen all the time. Just really bizarre stuff. How often were you treated as the enemy back in those days where, where the celebrities would run and duck and, and not give you the time of day? Oh, God. <laughs> Certain celebs were just a nightmare. The way that I worked was kind of very different from the, the bulk of the guys. We, we were taught a different way, the agency that I worked for. So most of my stuff would be shot where they didn't know that you photographed them. You know, I, I used to carry this 200 to 400 mil Canon lens in my bag and it had like a built-in 1.4 converter. So, you know, you could get up just close, just under 600 mil. And like, if you wanted to make big money, it was all shot very, very long lens, so they never even knew that you took their picture. And then there were certain celebrities that I would work with where they appreciated the fact that you weren't trying to draw attention to them. 
a lot of them, you know, it's like a big, it's like a big game to be honest with you. You know, these celebs are, a lot of them are looking for the publicity. So they were more concerned about you causing a scene and having the public see them because then you've got a risk of, you know, is it a crazy fan that's going to do something? So they were more worried about that. So, you know, when you used to see like all these big packs of paparazzi on the street waiting for celebs, that was what worried them more because say you took someone like Bill Clinton, he's inside a restaurant and then you're all stood there with your cameras out and people are walking by asking who's in the restaurant and someone, all it takes is for one person to say, Bill Clinton. And I guarantee you within half an hour, there'll be 500 people shutting down Fifth Avenue lining the streets. You, you say again in, in Frames Magazine that your work has taken a darker turn recently because of the times that we are living in. Tell me what you mean by that. I think I mentioned it. It's like, it's our longing for social interaction. I can't even imagine how tough it is for people that are on their own right now in their apartments. Like I know some people that have kind of spent the last year the only time you see anyone is when you go out to buy groceries, you know, or you're on a Zoom session, you know, you're one of your office Zoom sessions. And I found for me, you know, I'm lucky enough that, you know, I, I live with my wife, so we have each other. But, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty social person when I'm on the street. That's one of the, the best things about street photography is that you're on the street all day and you're chatting with people. It could be people that you're photographing or people you know or street vendors that I, I remember from when I used to do the paparazzi work so you know I, I would go out during the pandemic when you know there weren't that many people on the street and you would you would get chatting to everybody you could because you just needed to talk you say your, your work's taken a darker turn and and certainly there's the the issue of black and white there but there there is in these dark, sort of low-key black and white pictures, a real sense of beauty and respect or admiration or, or something along those, along those lines, and, and a way of re-seeing an awful lot of stuff that, that may seem familiar. I'm looking, for example, at the picture of the Flatiron Building, which has been photographed 13,000 times just last week, and, and, yet, and yet your picture is unlike 99% of the others. And yours, I think, having stood exactly where you're standing in that shot many times, you know, I'm thinking you got it right. All the others got the magazine shot. You got the feeling of the building really, really right there. You know, I'm looking at shots like the turkey walker. I'm looking at all the steam shots. And I'm thinking, you know, here, here's a guy who loves the city. And, and, you know, not in a kind of touristy way, but, it, but in an act of respect. Is street photography an act of respect for you? Definitely. I think it's, it's a, a love of the city. Like, uh, it's tough to kind of explain it. If you're not, if you're not from here, the journey to get here is hard. Like, especially if you're from another country, like look at it this way. You, you have people paying thousands of dollars to enter a lottery system to get into this country. Okay. When I came here in 94, I just like fell in love with the place, you know, believe it or not. I, I actually cried when I got on the plane to leave the first time because I was just, a, you just, there's no way you cannot get caught up in the energy of this place. So the happiness for me is walking around with a $2 street coffee, walking around with my camera and that. And 
a lot of people, if they see me on the street, they'll, they'll see me with the camera. If I see a picture, they'll know it's me because there'll be a coffee on the ground about four feet away from me. <laughs> I, I'll, 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 put, I'll put the coffee down for like two seconds, take the picture, pick the coffee up again. But yeah, it's like a personal respect to the city. Also, kind of like a lot of my pictures are a longing for the city that I remember as well. You know, the city's definitely been through a lot the last year. Like it, it's gone a lot darker. You walk out on the streets and you, you see there's a lot of closed businesses now. I know that that's all going to come back. That's a given. If you were here in, after 9-11, I don't know if you remember, like everybody left the city then. And then the same in 2008, everybody left the city then as well. And they all come back because they they leave and they move to the sticks and then they realize why they were not in the sticks in the first place. I grew up in a village of like 360 people. So I know very well. So yeah, my street, I would definitely say my street work is kind of a, an homage, if you put it that way, to New York City. Okay. A couple of big snowstorms just rolled through New York in the last couple of weeks. Did you get a lot of work done? Are we going to see some of that? Oh, yeah. I would describe as a pig in shit. <laughs> that's what that is. That, that's been, that's been my favorite. My favorite. It's weird because it used to be that I would want a snowstorm to roll in because that's when everyone would stay inside and you could go and walk around the city like you've gone back in time. And of course, over the last year, there was no one bloody around anyway. So what was it? I was out a couple of weekends ago, I think it was. And I was going to go head out to like um, the Hasidic neighborhood in Brooklyn to shoot during the snow. And of course, the subway wasn't running, right? So the only train that came through was uh, going to Coney Island. So it's just like, sod it, I'll, I'll get on that. I'll head to Coney Island in the snow. And that was just a trip. Like that is absolutely stunning. I, there's a bunch in on my website in the latest section. Okay. Uh, yeah, and no, I've, sh- I've shot a few thousand quite a few thousand frames just in the last month of snow. Uh, so, I mean, snow in, in New York is unlike anywhere else. I, I know that from experience. I'm, I'm looking at the latest section right now. This is some it's wonderful end- work here. It's, it's endless. It's, I, ca- I call it everything that's not fit for Instagram. That's where everything goes. I, I love this one shot of the two people walking the snow line on the beach with the footsteps going up to them. Folks, I mean, if you're listening, you've got to go to this website. You've got to look at this work. This is all extraordinary stuff. So, well, sir, I mean, thank you very much. This has been fascinating. I absolutely am in awe of the street work that you're doing, the work you've done before that, and I'm looking forward to the stuff that comes out next. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and giving me the opportunity to talk about my work. Frames, because excellent photography belongs on paper. Visit us at www.readframes.com.